Welcome back to the joy of aquatics. Now, last time we spoke with Natalie Livingston from California, who does accident and drowning investigations. So coming off the back of that, I thought it would be a good idea to speak to another amazing woman who's doing some incredible research in the aquatics industry. Now, coming from a unique perspective with a goal that everyone is taught to swim, Today's guest, Nina, has been studying the effectiveness of water safety benchmarks, but she's run into some very specific industry problems. Our industry has no specific assessment tools to measure these benchmarks. So to tackle this problem, Nina has some great collaborative ideas for our industry. Let's hear what happened when I caught up with Nina. With me today is Nina Nitri. Now, Nina is an amazing teacher and presenter, and I met Nina a few years ago. And Nina has been doing some amazing research, and that is why I wanted to speak to Nina today. I wanted to find out what is she researching. Let's spread the message out to as many teachers as possible, because what this, what this woman is working on is brilliant and amazing and I have a hell of a lot of respect for Nina so Nina welcome welcome to the joy of aquatics oh thank you and it truly is a joy of aquatics it's why we <laughs> all do it isn't it it is it is now I do have one quick question did I say your surname properly you were pretty close oh, okay. it's nitray nitray okay yes Nina nitray everyone the wonder woman <laughs> Nina, tell us a little bit about yourself. I wasn't born here. I was born overseas. I first started my Learn to Swim journey in the U.S. summer camp system. So they used a Red Cross or the East Coast where I was at. I became a qualified instructor, instructor by the time I was 15. And I had always been in open water, but open still water. So then when I came to Australia and... Everything I knew to be fact was suddenly, hang on, wait a minute, you guys do it differently and you call it different things. It was my first inkling that swimming isn't swimming the same all over the world. And then I started with Royal Life Saving and got my equivalency then with OzSwim. And then again, it was, well, it sort of depends. Are you doing it for safety or are you doing it for competition? Are you doing it just because you're going to swim in a pool? And all of that started the the questions which made you go oh I wonder why the reason for that is and that's what started me doing my research mm. because it turns out everyone just said well it's because we've always done it this way it's like well not everybody does it that way as soon as you hear someone say because that's how we've always done it it's time to challenge the system isn't it absolutely yeah absolutely so, it, and when you look back at the history of it, we haven't done it the way we do it now, always. So we've changed, but we, we forget that we've changed. We've just adapted as we've gone along and, and sort of adjusted our memory accordingly. Yeah. All right. Well, Nina, what is water safety? Let's start there. Okay. Water safety is not the one-stop, one-shop-fits-all it is one of those, and the most uh, annoying thing about it is that the answer to water safety is that it depends on the layers of protection. If you can swim, that's fantastic, but can you swim just in a pool 
or can you do that in open water? Open water that's moving, open water that's cold, open water that's got something else in there. So what you do for water safety, whether you're on, in or around the water, is going to depend on a whole range of things. And so people want to be able to go, oh, well, I'm safe because I know how to swim. So I don't need to wear a life jacket. I'm not going to go for a swim. So I don't need to worry about being near the water. And we try to have that, well, I can swim, so I don't have to have these other layers in place. That's just not the case. Yeah, well, definitely swimming in a pool versus swimming in open water, there is a massive difference there. I mean, I'm a very competent swimmer in a pool, but you put me open water and the anxiety starts to creep in. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. I know what lives in in the ocean. So, you know, like yes. the mind plays tricks on you very easily as soon as you're outside of your comfort zone. Absolutely. And the other thing too is that we tend to think of our ability as a static thing. Because I'm a strong, competent swimmer today, tomorrow when I hurt my shoulder or I have a cold or any of the things can af that affect us on a day-to-day -day basis, that means that my abilities are now different. We don't tend to take that into consideration. Yeah, well, I, I know I can get in the water one day and feel absolutely amazing and get in the next day and I feel like rubbish. I feel like a, like a lead weight. Absolutely. So. And so if, if you don't take that into account and, and you do something like swim by yourself, how do you know when you swim alone that today's not going to be one of your off days? Yeah. Today's not going to be one of the days where you're just a little bit dizzy or, you know, your blood sugar's low or, or all the thousand and one things that um, could happen. So hmm, just never swim alone. Makes We've got simple. lifeguards. We've got lifesavers. Take someone with you, always. Yeah, for sure. Nina, can you now let everyone know what it is you've been researching? It's a simple question. If we have a benchmark level of swimming that is supposed to be 100% of children who leave primary school age should be able to get to this level, which we do have with the Australian Water Safety Council's benchmark, then do those conditions work equally in different water environments? So open water, moving water, cold water, whether you're clothed. And those are the things that um, the drowning statistics tell us that they're the, the big ticket items. Mm. So my research was going to be a simple, simple thing. We're just going to gather some evidence in each of those conditions and we're going to say, yes, this benchmark is great or no, this benchmark needs to be revised to, to work more towards it. And the thing that we discovered as, as, or I discovered as I was going along is that how we assess we just go, yes, absolutely, strong swimmer, not a strong swimmer, or can do this, can't do that. The problem is, is that none of us are consistent when we look at the exact same person doing the exact same skill over time. Part of it is that we don't have a recognized assessment tool 
And part of it is that we haven't really defined exactly what we mean by the standard of, for example, freestyle. Depending on where you're going to be doing freestyle and why you're doing freestyle and where you're doing freestyle, it's going, the standard's going to be different. But we just call it swimming most of the time or freestyle. And we, yeah. we don't get down to the nitty-gritty. So when I come to, say, Joy's Swim School, mm-hmm. and you say, yep, I'm going to teach you freestyle, well, in your head, you might be teaching the competitive version of freestyle. But then when they leave your swim school and they come to my swim school, and I'm dealing with open water, and you're not going to have goggles, and you're probably not going to want to put your head in, the freestyle that I'm going to be teaching is going to be slightly different yeah but when the parent comes and says i want my child to be able to swim they're probably not even thinking specifically about a particular stroke they just want their child to be able to get to the nearest edge safely which actually has nothing to do with what your arms and legs are doing and more to do with the decisions that you're making where's the nearest edge Do I need to be face up, face down, arms in the water, arms out of the water? And all of that depends on whether you've got clothing on, how close the nearest edge is, are you in a current, all of those sorts of things. But we tend to think that if I teach you how to move your arms and legs in a particular pattern, that all of the decision-making that you're going to have to do to apply it correctly, well, you'll just figure that out, even though... I haven't shown you or taught you or let you experience it for yourself. You'll, you'll work it out all on your own. Yeah. And that's the bit that assessment, that's the bit where we communicate that between ourselves and the parents or the student, between swim schools, between instructors. And that's the bit that nondescript blob at the moment. So my research is saying... We, we need to put some standards, some definitions, trying to get everybody to agree on standards and, and definitions is really, really difficult. So the way I'm approaching it is instead of giving, getting everybody to agree beforehand, we say, this is what I am doing. And if you're doing something different, well, then you identify what you're doing And so when we compare from one swim school to another or one environment to another, we can say, right, this is what I'm comparing it to, not just the generic. Okay, so you're trying to put in a way that we can measure competence. Yes, instead of making it a yes, you are competent, no, you're not competent, it's a you're working towards it. You still need assistance in all the things that you're doing. Mm. So if you're still needing assistance, and that assistance might be physically a person in the water with you. It might be um, you need assistance with equipment. You need assistance by being in shallow water or near an edge, that sort of thing. Then we can communicate that a lot easier than saying you're competent, but you're only competent some of the time in some conditions with some people some of the time. 
Yeah. Does um, that make sense? Yeah, especially as soon as you said with some people, because so many times, I mean, I can get kids to perform a skill that then go on to another teacher and the other teacher would say they are so not ready for this level because they cannot do these skills. And I'm like, yeah, yes. they can do these skills. Watch. <laughs> yes. So. And they'll do it for you. Yeah. Or they, they will do it if they are in the lane closest to the wall. Yes. Or they will do it when they're going from the deep end to the shallow end, but not from the shallow end to the deep end. Yeah. So... That's where the idea of competent, not yet competent, which has sort of been our default setting, you can or you can't do it, doesn't fit the mold that we're trying to make it fit. So, Nina, I think when I saw you at the conference, I, I saw a little image that you had that had the four levels of, I want to say competence or not competence. (laughs) Um, that you had divided them into. What what are those four levels? So that was the assessment tool that I I developed and I actually tested for reliability and for validity. So those four levels, uh, the first level is refusal. If you're progressing someone through a program and they refuse to dive or they refuse to put their face in or to be on their back or be on their front, whatever, does that mean they have to stay in a certain level because they they haven't gotten that one bit or they refuse to attempt that one bit? This assessment tool just acknowledges these skills they're not even willing to attempt. Yeah. Okay. So that's the refusal. The second stage is assisted, whether it's a person or equipment or uh, where you do it, all that sort of stuff, just acknowledges that you can, you still need assistance to do it. Yeah. If your skills or your development is in one of those two levels, then that is where from an active supervision point of view, you are a non-swimmer and you need to be within arm's reach of a responsible adult. Yeah. So if your kid is a great swimmer with floaties on, your kid is in that assisted group Mm. because they're assisted by the floaties. They can't do it on their own. Then the next level up is effective. So these are the ones where they can get in and they can do it. They can make their arms and legs move in a recognizable pattern on their front, their back, their side, whatever it is. And they're effective. It might not be pretty. It's definitely not efficient. But they can do it under their own power and they can repeat it when asked to do so. Yeah. That's effective. And then the final stage is efficient. So that's not only can you get it in a recognizable pattern, but you can adjust it while you're doing it to make it efficient maintaining your body position in a streamlined position, always coming back to the streamline. Whether it's above water or below water, your arm action is is actively using those levers. That's that top end, which, as I said before, not everybody wants or needs to be in that top end. Yeah. Okay. So we've got refusal, need support, effective and efficient. Yeah. So okay. I've I've actually named the the assessment tool Ray. So it's refusal assisted effective efficient. 
R A some of the instructors who were involved in the research said they, they didn't like the word refusal. So um, they wanted to call it did not attempt. So a ray becomes day. Okay. But the idea is still the same behind it. Yes. And it's an idea that it's a continuum. And it doesn't just apply to the physical skills, but it applies to water safety knowledge and understanding. So, for example, you take diving. Mm-hmm. You might get the physical skill of diving fairly quickly, but the understanding of where it's appropriate and when it's appropriate to do a dive might come a little bit later. So you might still be assisted in your understanding of when to apply a dive. Yeah, makes sense. I still know quite a lot of adults who swim for exercise and fitness and and because they they love it so much and they routinely go to the shallow end of the water and dive into shallow water oh i saw a lady do that the other day my heart nearly stopped and what that does is it shows that they don't understand from the water safety aspect about headfirst entries into shallow water if you look at most squads, most squads full of national swimmers, they're all diving into shallow water. I did. Yes, but you're an efficient diver. You are not doing a deep dive in any of those dives. Yeah, I wouldn't do it now, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know better. But it, it's, it's one of those things that... Um, because it's never happened before, we, we feel like we, we've got a, a level of safety there. Yeah. And unfortunately, there, there are many cases of people who it's never happened before, and this is the first time it happened. Yeah. You've only got one spine to give. Well, that's right. And you look at someone like Nadine Newman. I mean, she was an Olympic swimmer, dove into... I believe it was two metre deep water with her arms by her side. So she full on went in head first and broke her neck. There was a a young swimmer in the Central West. She she was competitive, Uh, same sort of thing. Um, She she just went in at a slightly wrong angle and um, it was congenital. They didn't know that there had been something there before and it was just, you know all the wrong things aligned at the wrong time and permanent neck injury. So yeah. she's, she's a quadriplegic. But the impact that it has on your daily living is it impacts every aspect oh. of your, your daily life. Yeah. And prevention is the only cure. We, there's no other way around it. Yeah. Is it difficult to do the prevention? Is it difficult to walk to the deep end of the pool before you dive in? Is it difficult to, you know, check the depth before you do an entry? No. It's just not cool or, you know, I did it last time or mm. 101 reasons. isn't never happened here before. Um, I'm a really good diver. All of the excuses that yeah. you can come up with you're there for the exercise walk the extra 50 meters or 25 meters add add it to your exercise tally yeah all right well nina what can swimming teachers expect in the future 
Is there anything coming out? Do you have any assessment tools coming out that we can use? Like what, where yes. do you see this going? Well, where I see this going is, is first of all, opening up the debate about keeping doing what we do. Yeah. And hopefully that debate's going to be a really short one because I think everybody would agree that what we've got isn't working. So whether we take on the concept of Ray and we think of swimming as a continuum and we think of swimming as not just a physical skill but the knowledge and understanding of the decision-making of when you apply it, because we, we talk about swimming being a skill for life, but your entire lifetime you're changing. Oh, yeah. So Don't I know it. it <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if one size doesn't fit all and it doesn't fit you for life, then why are we taking that approach with how we teach and how we expect people to be assessed? Yeah. So hopefully that debate will come in and it'll be short, sharp, and we'll all agree we need to do differently. Now, oh. the idea of having it as a continuum, I hope, will be the, the way we move, but it, it's going to be consensus-based and it's going to have to be led by swimming instructors. It, it's no good to develop a tool and say, oh, look, it's, it's there in the toolbox, go and use it, if, if they're not going to drive it themselves. That's right. Yeah, we've all got to we've all got to get on board, and we've all got to use an assessment tool. I would love yep. to have something from another swim school that says exactly what these skills what what skills these kids can do and how well they can do it, because that would then take away so much it question. It would. And yeah. part of the problem is that people want to protect their intellectual property. Well, you know, I've, I'm a great swim school because I'm so popular. I have so many people coming to us because we make good swimmers or, or whatever their marketing campaign is. Yeah. So one of the things that I've put forward is that we actually start registering what our program is. So if Joy Swim School has a, a competitive focus and this is how you define what you teach at your school, mm -hmm. then when we start doing things like looking at the statistics of whose programs or which programs are becoming more and more represented in drowning statistics, then we can say, well, okay, when we look at a program that is focused on just straight physical skills, and not on decision-making, then we can see that we're starting to get a correlation. We can see if you don't have these decision-making aspects to your program, then you're more likely to end up in the drowning statistics. Yeah. So that's a, a move forward because to get everybody to teach the same program, not going to happen. No, no, it's not. And there are so many different ways to teach. And that's actually one thing I've noticed in the industry. When I first started going to conferences, everything was, all the teachers were like, well, I do it this way, therefore you're wrong. But that seems yes, to have exactly. morphed. That I don't think that's the case anymore. I think teachers are starting to see that 
well, there's lots of ways to teach swimming. And they're now starting to be a lot more open and accepting. Because if you don't know the hundred different ways to teach whatever it is that you're trying to teach, there's going to be kids that fall through the gaps coming through your style of teaching because you're not going to be able to reach them. They need that hundredth way that you don't know. There, There are going to be children who want to be, for example, competitive, who I am not the best teacher for them because I haven't got a competitive bone in my body. So if that's what they want, then I want to be able to steer them towards a program that is geared towards competitive swimming. Yeah. Because that's what we have when we have squads. Yeah. We go, yep, you want to compete, then you go into a squad, and that's when you take that efficient swimming and you hone it in on that goal of competing. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be just kids. Then there are other people who they go fishing and they're never going to be doing something like freestyle in a pool. No. But they absolutely have to be able to get themselves fully clothed through eddies and through current and doing something like feet for a skull is an absolute essential skill for them that realistically a lot of swim schools and a lot of swim teachers don't teach. Why would you need to do a feet first skull? It's actually one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. So it's very quick but you're right I don't teach it to kids unless they're in the top end do a fair bit of sculling but unless they're in the top end and I'm trying to teach them a party trick. But I mean if you're in a river find that submerged stump head first or feet first yeah yeah. head first for sure (laughs) (laughs) exactly that sort of thing but um i mean how many of us teach exits we go yeah yeah just climb out off you go but if you go boating we teach people how to put a life jacket on but do we ever teach them or give them the opportunity to figure out getting out into a boat with a life jacket on i can say i've done that one yes yes we did that we had the boat in the pool (laughs) and they could not climb out (laughs) (laughs) so that's actually one of the skills in in one of the programs that i run is that we absolutely do falls we do putting your life jacket on in the water water. as opposed to before you get in the water because you we all know where a life jacket rests in the boat under the esky so it doesn't bang around that's right rather than putting it on because (laughs) of course i can swim but putting it on when you're in the water you now have to get out of the water and you want to get back in the boat how do you do that do you have to take the life jacket off do you stand on the life jacket to give you a boost up and how do you do it if you don't practice that in a safe controlled environment how are you going to have that skill when your life depends on it. I but if, if your whole focus is about competitive swimming, why would you include that in your program? That's right. Well, can't programs be a mix? Well, my point of view, they absolutely should be a mix. Yeah. And you should be able to be exposed to all of the different things that you do in the water in a safe environment. Swimming with your head up out of the water, not efficient, but... If you're playing a game like water polo, it's kind of a skill you're going to need. That's right. Why not experience that when you're a beginner? Why do you have to become advanced before you're allowed to experience it? 
Yeah. It, there's a lot of things that we need to, as an industry, agree. Okay, I don't have to convince everybody to do what I do, but we have to be able to maybe not advertise, but at least record whether we have a national database that says, you know, gym swim school teaches these aspects, this is what's involved in their program, this is their philosophy. And then we can get to the point where people can shop for the types of swimming that they are interested in doing. And if it's in your area, you can do that. Or you can recommend, listen, we focus on this type of swimming, but I know Joy's Swim School, they do a mixed program and that would be really good for you. Or, you know, you're going to be going to the ocean. This swim school really focuses on that, even if they're not necessarily based on the ocean. Yeah, that makes sense, Nina. Definitely food for thought for a lot of teachers out there and a lot of swim school owners as well. And you're right, I think a lot of people don't want to give up their intellectual property. Um, Yeah. But how much of that do they really need to give up for this? I don't think they need to give away too much. No, they don't. It's, it's, It's not yours is the only way because, let's face it, a lot of what we teach, there are others who teach the same way, the same skills, have a similar approach. So we're working collaboratively. And it's better that we accept that we're not going to teach everybody ourselves, but an aim for us to have as an industry that everybody gets taught. Yes. That young, old, migrants, it doesn't matter, but 100% of us should know how to swim yeah i like that nina i very much like that that's our banner let's let's go let's make sure everyone gets taught to swim doesn't matter who they're taught by as long as they're taught yeah Yeah, exactly you know we've got a sisterhood brotherhood we're all working towards the same end goal which is for everybody to learn how do we make that possible yeah we're working with common tools kind of feel like we need a unifying organization. Every Everybody wants to be able to, to put up their flag saying, you know, everybody else is wrong and I'm right. You need to follow me. Yeah. And just like stopping thinking competent, not yet competent, and thinking moving towards efficiency for the skill, for the knowledge and for the understanding. Yeah. We're moving towards it. It's a continuum. Excellent. Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. You have definitely given us a lot to think about. Well, um, thank you so much for the opportunity and I love everything that you've been doing because you're you're that unifying voice and (laughs) that's what we, we, we need. All right. Well, Nina, thank you once again. It has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, the same, the same from here. Wow. That's a lot of information to wrap up. Okay, Nina is obviously doing some incredible work that has the potential to change Learn to Swim. Starting by measuring the effectiveness of our benchmarks, creating new assessment tools, and then of course working collaboratively to reduce that drowning rate. Now I don't know about you lot, but I would totally be happy to register my program if it's going to help reduce the drowning rate. That is why we do Learn to Swim. Look, she even touched on knowledge, skill and understanding and how important it is to make sure that we don't just teach the skill, but teach the knowledge behind the skill and also help the students apply that knowledge and skill in different situations. It might just be a conversation, but it could save a life. 
And how wonderful is that, that a quick conversation can save a life. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and it actually has you thinking about how we assess our students. Remember, we are always assessing our students so we can give great feedback so they can keep progressing. But I guess it's time that we assess ourselves, which is what Nina is doing. So Nina, thank you very much. That wraps up this week's episode. I hope you have enjoyed it. Until next time, happy swimming.